Welcome to Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Got to get my popcorn out here. Hold on, Alex. The bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algerian Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's off the Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this guy is Fields on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Mace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time. The time zone with the bluest skies. That means it's time for the Debbie debate. Brought to you by CampusDecant.com. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nason. I'm Felix Sharp on a garrulous version of tonight's show. Is Travion Henderson about to start for Ohio State? Is Keaton Slovis, quote-unquote, back? And what are the simps saying about Carson Strong? But we start with a look back at week one. Austin and Matt, I need to know, which teams and players do you trust after week one? We had DJ Uyunglele. He couldn't find an open receiver and didn't have time to throw. Some in Norman are saying that Caleb Williams should start for Spencer Rattler, Eric Gray. Counted for just 21 yards from scrimmage on 10 touches for Oklahoma. Jalil Billingsley, absolutely absent from the Alabama game plan. C.J. Stroud, largely inaccurate. And then when he was accurate, he threw the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage. Matt, Austin, who can we trust? I already had severe trust issues this weekend. Didn't help at all with that. Um I, I think, you know, when all else fails, I will just keep continuing to go back to the Bijan Robinson well. Bijan Robinson is my hero. I love him so much. Um, you know, one of the first times I was actually allowed to talk on this show, I talked about Bijan Robinson, how he was <laughs> my top running back in all of college, and he had like five carries to his name. And lo and behold, he is the best running back in college. This past week, 20 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown, and then another four catches, 73 yards, and a touch through the air. Um, he came on down the stretch last season, new head coach, said, I am going to get Bijan Robinson involved, and he was not kidding. They got him involved. They split him out wide. They, they, they looked at him early and often in the passing game. They wanted to get the ball in his hands. By halftime, he had as many touches as he had in any game last season if this continues i i mean he's going to put up a great season texas will probably be a pretty solid team um and do we start worrying about him sitting out next year but that's a different topic for a different day 
Yeah, I, I don't think we've seen the ceiling for that Texas offense yet to take on Arkansas this week. Um, they have not fired on all, cil- on all cylinders yet. Troy Mire uh, was not playing in that game out with the injury, but um, you can tell that, that that offense is going to revolve around Bijan, as it should. Matt Bruning, who do you trust after week one? Uh, I'm going to go a little off the radar here. I'm going to go Victor Tucker, wide receiver for Charlotte. I mentioned him earlier in some articles for CampusDeCanton.com. Uh, and, and I was a little bit worried, obviously, with Charlotte. Wasn't sure if he was actually going to produce the way I thought he would, which would be a top CFF producer. Uh, but with the way that he was targeted by Chris Reynolds this week and him going off for 23.1 points, playing the best defense on their schedule in Duke, I think he's going to be a top college producer this year. Uh, so I do trust him. I, I, Chris Reynolds looked really good. Austin, you were talking about him on the Camps to Canton pod. Uh, campus Life on Monday or Tuesday with Colin about how good he looked. I think that offense is going to be really good for CFF side of things, and I'm, I'm all in on Victor Tucker. I think he looked really good in that game, uh, and then he's going to be probably a top 15 option that I think you were getting in like late 30 rounds, 40 rounds in your in your C2C drafts. Yeah, yeah, what, 8 for 133, and I, uh, you know, I, I, I said on the show, I think he finds the end zone this week and has another huge week, Victor yeah. Tucker. Yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, G5 receivers, Jalen Cropper, I think, proved a little something this weekend. You know, not a enormous statistical day, but seven catches, 49 yards and a touchdown against Oregon. A tough matchup. uh, One of the probably the toughest one that that, uh, Fresno State has in their schedule this week. Um, And, you know, that that proof that he can do it against the big boys, um, I think bodes very well for his draft stock moving forward i've said all along i think he can get day two draft capital when all is said and done he was listed at like 165 last season he bulked up uh, gained over 10 pounds he's getting closer to that acceptable range of weight um i think you know another year here where he continues to improve and impress they get into that soft mountain west defensive schedule um i trust jalen cropper and really that whole fresno offense now on a weekly basis Jalen Copper was actually one of one of my biggest risers in my rankings. I think he's in my top 20 now. Uh, he After that first game against UConn and then how he played against Oregon, he's absolutely going to be a factor uh, come 2023 if he decides to come out then. Matt, who you got next? Uh, so I'm going to go with Michael Pratt. He's a guy that uh... – a couple of us at Campus to Canton have been talking about for a while now. Felix, you mentioned him back in November. I was talking about him in December. Kevin Coleman uh, at Du Bois mentioned him in an article he did uh, this this past uh, offseason. Uh, he had a really good game against Oklahoma. He brought that team back. Uh, 27 for 44, 61% completion for 296 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Had a two um Really good throws, uh, two uh, 2.2 big-time throws, according to PFF as well. Looked really good in that game, and let's be honest, that's probably the best defense he's going to play all season long, and he did that against Oklahoma. I think he is in for a huge season CFF-wise. Felix, you talked about it back in November in a tweet you put out. He's got the intangibles to be a possible NFL quarterback. He just needs to be consistent, work on his footwork. You also mentioned it when you were watching that game Saturday. His footwork looked a lot better. Austin, you talked about it. He looked a little bit more consistent. Michael Pratt is a guy that a lot of people were talking about and I think we're going to continue talking about for the next two years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I thought he looked okay. Um, you know, if I have to say that Felix was right, I guess I'll say it this time. <laughs> 
my, my third guy here, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver at Penn State. And, you know, Jarek's magic line doesn't love Jahan Dotson's first two years, but it freaking loves that third year. Last year is a true junior. Uh, put up about a 40% uh, market share there at Penn State. Um, this weekend, uh, five catches, 102 yards, touchdown on a day when Penn State had fewer than 300 yards total offense. You know, he put up over a third of it. He, the last 10 games, you know, all of last season and then this game, he's gone over 100 yards and six out of 10 of them. He can return punts at a pretty high level. He gets deep or open deep consistently. I think he's a day two guy next year. I, I really, really do. And I think it'll help him early because he can contribute on special teams in a big way. So I, I trust Johan Dotson, even in that shaky Penn State passing offense. I think he can still put up some really nice numbers throughout this year. And he wasn't someone who necessarily broke out early, but it looks like he's just really, really improved in the last two seasons. Um, yeah, John, I, I agree with you there. Jahan Dotson, one of uh, Brandon Lejeune's favorites. You guys know who I trust after week one. You know who I, who I trust? Me! That's who I trust. I trust me because Mayan Williams, all offseason, I tried to tell you guys that this guy was a player that he was going to be a factor in that backfield. He leads Ohio State and carries. I went on the Debbie Marketplace and sang the wrong theme song and said Mayan Williams is someone you needed to pay attention to. Jake Hayner, Michael Pratt, Jay Sean Corbin last year was a, a when we talked about potential breakouts, I gave them to you. Rashad White, Jamison Williams, Anthony Richardson. All players are my guys. So that's who I trust after week one is me. All right, let's move on to the next segment. You'd think it was the first time Felix was ever right with all that bottled up. It, it really is. I was about to start bringing like, what about Austin Watkins, Warren Jackson? Like, we're, let's start going down the list of all the ones that he got wrong. And then, no, no, you know, no, not those he ones. Stand not out. those ones. Yeah, not, not, those, not ones. those guys. <laughs> Austin, you got some housekeeping for us. I sure do. Yeah, if you guys have not tuned in yet, um, the guys here at campus2canton.com are doing two live shows every Saturday. We start off the day with the tailgate, 10 a.m. to noon, get you uh, set for all of college football's games. The first hour, uh, more CFF focused. We do start sits, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a weekend review. We, we predict some of the games. Um, so tune into that. And then the last hour there from 11 to 12 is with Alfred, Will, and Chris Moxley, they guide you through the DFS slates for the day, uh, talk a little prize picks as well, uh, a new uh, group there that we are partnering with, uh, a really cool website that basically does uh, player props um, that you can combine into different combinations. Um, using promo code CC2C when you sign up there gets you a, uh, a free year-long membership to the website. I mean, can't beat that with all the DFS content we've let, got. Let's, okay. Awesome. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. So prize picks... Price picks, you deposit $20, you get a match of $20. You get a free sub year subscription to campus2canton.com. That includes all of our rankings. That includes all of Jarek's tools. It essentially pays for itself if you go ahead and deposit $20 on prize picks, promo code C2C. If you haven't subscribed to the website, you need to go ahead and do that by subscribing uh, go ahead and downloading prize picks and using code C2C. It's a no-brainer. That pays for itself. Go ahead, Austin. 
yeah beyond that just continue to rate and review the podcast we'll probably be doing another giveaway here in the not so distant future um, and that is how we run those and uh, then if all those other things don't sound great to you or maybe they do and you want to you know support all of us subscription to the website costs $2.99 a month guys less than a cup of coffee and as Felix just said you get all of those those things um, so why wouldn't you And uh, Coast to Coast this weekend is going to go live after Michigan versus Wisconsin. We also appreciate podcast reviews for uh, the the Debbie debate. So go ahead and hit our podcast reviews. And obviously, if you want to subscribe to campus2camp.com, the subscription is only $2.99 a month if you're, for some reason, not going to use prize picks. All right, boys. This is, uh, this is a big one for you, too, here, Felix. This is episode 50. So I expect to... I expect I expect you to pay out for that fancy little microphone and everything here in the in the near future. You know, I just never this is, I never thought that we, would, we would actually that we would actually make it. Congratulations to us on episode fifty. Let's be self indulgent, but let's also get to the Debbie debates, boys. Are you ready for the Debbie debates? Let's do it. All right. True and false edition. True or false? After his week one performance, Austin Bryce Young should move up in our rankings. False. Very, very false. And here is why. Bryce Young looked great this past weekend. And I said on, on the C2C pod that Bama just looked like the best team in the country. This probably shouldn't be surprising. Under Nick Saban, they always look like the best team in the country. It doesn't matter how much talent they lose each offseason. The guy, the, the, the guy that's, that's stepping up into that position is probably just as highly rated of a recruit, has gotten all the same coaching from Nick Saban and company that the, other, that the, you know, the guys leading to the draft have. They step up every year. They shut everybody up. They did it week one. Bryce Young, no different, looked like the next guy in line there. They've had two straight quarterbacks taken in the top half of the first round, and I'm still not moving him up. And you know why? Because I don't move players based on one game ever in Debbie. If you are doing that, you are playing Debbie incorrectly. So I do not do that. The top tier of four is so close together anyway. I don't think it necessarily matters for me. Um, so no, I'm not moving Bryce Young. But I think if we get to game four or five and Bryce Young has seriously outperformed DJU at that point, I think Bryce Young would move him. It's the same argument I made with Bijan Robinson months ago when he was barely playing and you yelled at me <laughs> and I was right. So you know what? I'm sticking with it. So you mean the fact that I moved Matt Corral up to like QB3 because of the Justin Fields tweet that Jarek put out was doing Debbie wrong? If I, I was I there, I would, I would hit your knuckles with a ruler. That was bad, Matt. Bad, I bad, apologize. Bad. Uh, I, I agree 100% with Austin here. I, I would not move Bryce Young up. I mean, let's also be honest. Yes, they went out there. They look good against Miami. Is Miami really that good? Like, I know that some people picked him to be good. But it's not like they went out there and played Georgia like like DJ did. So let's let's see what DJ does moving forward. That defense is really good. We talked a lot about it. We thought Georgia and Clemson, even with the injuries, was going to be a really good game. That defense just looked good. DJ looked much better last year. And Austin, as Austin pointed out on the tailgate when I said they didn't really play a good defense, Notre Dame did have a pretty good defense last year. So I'm not going to move them ahead of DJU right now. Now, if that trend continues and both those players continue to play that way over the next couple weeks, Bryce Young will move up. But as of right now, he's still number two in that 2023 class. I think he's five for me overall, uh, and he sits behind DJU. <laughs> Felix, you're muted. 
he we're three for three here. I don't think we move him. Um, we already had had him ranked four, but I think we did confirm some things that we believed about Bryce Young. Is that you know he was a Russell Wilson type. I think we know now that as a passer, he is on par with the other three in front of him: uh, DJU, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. We all have them somewhere right in there. Um, and then, you know, things just really come easy to Bryce Young. Even when he's escaping in the pocket, he looks really effortless. He doesn't really take contact a la Russell Wilson. That's why that when he's running, that's why that comp came that comp that's where that comp came from. So um, no, I think we just confirmed some things that we already believed about him. Uh, we had Bryce Young ranked very highly in our rankings. Matt Bruning, I'll throw this to you first, since you mentioned DJ Uyunglele after his week one performance. True or false, we should be moving him down in our rankings. Absolutely false. He he doesn't need to go anywhere. He he I don't know exactly where everybody has him. I know I have him at one. He's not moving off that spot, like I said, unless he continues to perform that way. If he continues to play that bad against ACC defenses, yes, he's getting moved down my ranks. Uh, I'm not going to move him out of top 10, but he will move down. Right now, he stays firmly in the number one spot. I saw enough out of him last year uh, to, to keep him up there. There's no reason to move him down after one bad game. Yeah, and it's not like he was bad. Like When he had time to throw, he looked good. Now, obviously, you know, uh, how how you ultimately grade a quarterback depends on how they do in imperfect situations. Um, and, and he did not excel in that regard. Uh, but I thought, you know, he still looked fine. I thought the game plan there for on Clemson's part was horrible. And, mm-hmm. you know, apparently when I said it, I was stupid. And when Felix said it, he was a genius on Twitter during the game where I said they need to Clemson doesn't need to run him. You know, I, I didn't I didn't need them to, you know, Cam Newton esque or, you know, Michael Vick esque just call his number and let him run over and over again. But they were just three to five step drop, just having him sit in the same spot in that pocket. Georgia figured that out about halfway through the first quarter. And they just blitzed the crap out of him, knowing that he was going to be three to five steps behind the line of scrimmage. They didn't want him to move. They'd obviously given him strict instructions not to move. And they were just teeing off on him all game. If Clemson had just moved him around a little bit, get him rolling out, run, throwing on the run, just to stymie a little bit of the pass rush, especially that little stunt that they were running on the left side of that line repeatedly that was just torching Clemson all night. It, I think that he would have fared better. So I think a lot of the blame for this performance falls on his shoulders, but I think a lot of it falls on the offensive game plan and the coordinator there who did nothing to help him and adjust as that game went on. A kid who still is only in his third start. I mean, we we, we act like he played a bunch his freshman year. He played two games. We I would I, I would put put blame on the offensive coordinator and here's why. That Georgia team was playing tight man-to-man defense and they did not game plan to scheme wide receivers open, running pick plays, running them in bunch formations, preventing them from pressing. And we have seen this before with Georgia. Baker Mayfield's uh, senior season in that playoff game or the bowl game before Baker Mayfield won, uh, uh, went to the NFL draft. Early in that game, Georgia was pressing and C.D. Lamb and company could not get open and he had a terrible game and, and because his wide receivers could not get separation. It's the same thing that we uh, saw in this game. It's something that Mike McCarthy in his time at Green Bay was criticized for is that he would have his wide receivers all run routes independently and they wouldn't run run rub routes off of each other. You wouldn't do bunch formations to get wide receivers open. Um, this really isn't complicated. 
when your cornerback, when your defense is pressing, you need to bring in wide receivers into minus formations, put them together. You need to run pick plays. You need to run mesh. And you need to run your quarterback. And, and uh, Clemson didn't really do that. All of that being said, I'm not moving DJ Uyunglele anywhere. We saw his talent last year versus Boston College versus Notre Dame. That Notre Dame defense was really, really good, and he was poised on the road at Notre Dame. Um, so I'm not moving DJ Uyunglele anywhere. He is an elite, an elite arm talent on the level of like Jamarcus Russell, but he has a head on his shoulders that's better than Jamarcus Russell. All right, where are we at here? True or false? We're going to stick with the quarterback theme here, Austin. After his week one performance, should faith be restored in Keaton Slovis? He goes 24 for 36 for 256 yards, two touchdowns against the San Jose State team that many was predicting to potentially have an upset in this game. I'm assuming that you decided to put this question on here and toss it to me first because I said that I did not get a chance to watch the USC game this weekend. I'm assuming that that is why you did that, you smart ass. <laughs> That's not why I did that. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. Matt, I have no idea. Listen, I have no idea. Matt, did you watch it? <laughs> I have not. I did not watch the entire game. I just went back and watched the the highlights of it. Uh, but I, I've said it on Twitter. A uh, good friend of the show, Kane Fassell. I see Ray commenting commenting as well. They both uh, never really gave up on Keaton Slovis. I have, uh, so I'll continue to say the same thing. It's only one game. Uh, I mean, they did have I think the twenty six rated pass defense last year, so it wasn't like he played a bad team. He did go up against a good secondary. If Slovis continues to play this way the rest of the season, I will have to admit I'm wrong. But much like DJU and Bryce Young, even CJ Stroud, it's one game. I'm not going to take too much away from him right now. He looked much better than I thought he would. He's definitely throwing the ball down the field better, was moving around in the pocket better. So I will give him props on that. But I'm not going to shoot him all the way back up my board where he was to begin the season last year because I want to see more of that. And I haven't gotten it the chance to watch the game. I intended to watch it before our show today, but I was quite frankly writing uh, my parting shot. But I tell you what I am going to be looking for, Matt, is something you mentioned, and that's Keaton Slovis throwing the ball down the field and making making plays, being a playmaker. If I can see that, that's something that we don't see from Mike Leach's system often. We see them th showing, you know, doing a fast dink and dunk offense, and I want to see a little more aggression from Keaton Slovis. And if I see that, maybe, maybe we'll move him up. All right, Matt Bruning, I'm going to go. You know what? I'm going to take this myself first. True or false that Anthony Richardson will lead all quarterbacks in rushing in 2021? I actually think that that is true. I think that that is true. I think that we see Anthony Richardson take the starting job from Emory Jones because he is such a dominant playmaker. I think he already has 160 yards rushing um, this season. And I'm only saying quarterbacks leading the country in rushing from the quarterback position he probably would compete with adrian martinez in that category but but anthony richardson is one of the best size adjusted athletes in the country we saw that on saturday they can't keep him off the field you just can't keep him off the field and so i say yes austin ace that anthony richardson will lead the country in rushing this season I'll counter and say no, just because Malik Willis plays the cupcake of all cupcake Division One <laughs> schedules this year. I don't think that can be discounted. Um, so if if Willis wants to run, he will outrun whatever quarterback. And I don't think that Richardson. I'm not sure he ever true like completely takes that job, or at least not for a few weeks. 
you know, Nate, Nate Marquise um, uh, made a really good point today. I saw on, on Twitter where he said that um, Florida plays USF this week, I believe. And then they play Bama the week after that. And it would be kind of suicide on their part with Richardson to toss him out there next or, you know, this week against USF, like name him the starter and let Bama be his second game. Like you're better off narrative and confidence wise if you just let you know kind of split them maybe like you did week one week two you let emory jones do whatever and get beat up and look like crap against bama and then you name richardson the starter week four i think that probably works out better for all parties involved um and, and so that split of that timeshare also will affect you know his rushing stats by the end of the year uh, I'll say no too, although I believe he is leading right now. Just over uh, Felix mentioned Adrian Martinez is probably the next best guy, but KJ Jefferson and Arkansas runs a lot. I don't know outside of Burks that they have. Uh, what's his name? Actually, probably pretty good there now. His name just jumped out of my head. Uh, I think KJ Jefferson could be up there. Um, and and the freshman from Toledo, Daquan Finn, he's got over 80 rushing yards in one game. Toledo doesn't really have a very tough schedule outside of Notre Dame. If they run him a little bit, I could see it. I actually don't think Malik Willis is going to run that much this year. I think Malik Willis is very much going to try and do everything he can passing-wise to, to boost that NFL stock. So I don't think Willis will be up I there. Actually, but Yeah, I agree with you, which is why I'm, pick, I'm picking Richardson because I think that Willis is going to try to show – his prowess as a passer this season and, and run less. And quite frankly, with their schedule, he can play any type of football that he wants to Austin. So that's, that's one of the, re I considered Willis, but it's, I don't, I don't think that he, we're going to going to see him as active in the running game as we've seen, as we saw him last year. Well, that I think that's my biggest fear with Richardson though, is if he doesn't get benched for Emory Jones, I, mean, I know he went off obviously in, in this game the past weekend was 160 rushing yards, but if they continue to throw Emory Jones out there, I think those guys below him will start to pass it because they're actually starting every single week. So that's why I'd, I guess, take the field. Makes sense. Makes sense. We're going to go back to you, uh, Matt Bruning. Speaking of rushing, do you see Travion Henderson becoming the lead back uh, for Ohio state after week one as soon as soon as week two no it's still gonna be mine williams uh i mean he did not oh, have really? a bad game there oh. and yeah yeah whatever anyway so <laughs> with uh you're welcome you're welcome you know what you're welcome I don't, I don't give you enough love on this show you're welcome felix you made a correct call good job uh, no, I mean, if you, I went back and rewatched that game because I wanted to see a lot of stuff with Stroud. And, and if you saw some of the holes that that offensive line was opening up, I mean, I realistically think I could average like 1.5 yards a carry and I'm, I'm not the greatest athlete. They, those guys saw me in can, I'm a, I'm a little bitty guy. So I, I really think that uh, my Williams is going to continue that for now. Travion Henderson, as I've said before, I think will start to take over as the season goes on. I don't think they're going to trust him against that Oregon defense this week. I think it's going to be mine, Williams, and then the sprinkle in of Henderson because of just how explosive he is. They can put him anywhere on the field. He's going to make plays, but it'll be mine in week two. Yeah, they've, they've split those carries pretty consistently as long as they've had more than one guy that they're comfortable with. I mean, they were forced to give Sermon a lot of carries at once because everybody else was kind of hurt last year teague was down uh williams was down as well i believe so i think ryan day prefers to to kind of split them so i, I think it'll we'll see a very similar split to what we saw last week for at least the next couple of weeks you know maybe eventually they they flip but i mean henderson so you saw what he can do on that 70 yard touchdown where you know 
he where just, he ran like, straight. He, he pushes a button and, it, and the jets turn yeah. on. Yeah, and it just you you're not gonna catch him. And he's 250 but, pounds now. I mean, Mayan Williams is explosive in his own right. I mean, he might not. He's not a candidate for a 60 yard touchdown every week, but. Mayan Williams is explosive in short areas and he's difficult to tackle. That's why that's why I uh, pegged him as a breakout candidate this season. We'll see if he continues to, you know, kind of lead the the backfield there in Ohio. At Ohio State, of course, they take on Oregon at the Horseshoe 12 p.m. this week and and tune in for the tailgate that will take you right up to the start of that game 10 a.m. Eastern to 12 p.m. will take you right up to Oregon, Ohio State. All right. I think we're at uh, prediction time, Matt Bruning. Do we have some oh, some man. imaging for yeah, for for Austin? Well, uh, and for the for our for our newest listeners, early on in this show, Austin was someone who didn't talk, and he came up with lukewarm takes. While me and Matt Bruning um, pretty pretty much fought each other, and uh, since then, Austin is the star of the show. But we're we're gonna go back to the old the old days and. Uh, and Austin's going to give his lukewarm take of the week, a segment that we introduced last week, and we're going to bring it back. Was that enough time, Matt Bruning? Was that no, enough? I couldn't time? find it. It was not. It was not. You should have just gone first. You should have just let me and you go first, and then we'll get. Well, to Austin. let's do it then. How about we? How about we do ours first, and then I'll do I'll I'll do mine, then you do yours, and then we'll let Austin do his lukewarm take of the week last, so we can find uh, that file. My bold prediction for the week is that Anthony Richardson, uh, you mentioned Florida taking on South Florida. Anthony Richardson goes off for over 150 yards rushing, three touchdowns, and has over 200 yards passing and two touchdowns as he takes over the majority of the work for Florida. I don't think that they can keep him off of the field we saw what he did. I mean, he's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. He probably runs a four five. He is not to be trifled with by tacklers. Uh, he's got some Cam Newton in him. He's got some Tim Tebow in him. So my bold prediction for the week is that Anthony Richardson goes over one hundred and fifty yards rushing and three touchdowns against South Florida, over two hundred yards passing and two touchdowns. Um, could be a potential DFS sleeper. I don't know. Matt Burning, what do you got? Man, I tried so hard to come up with a hot take for this week, and there's just absolute garbage on the schedule outside of a couple games. So I'm just going to stay on brand here because I'm going to be wrong anyways, and that's just kind of what I do. I think Kyle McCord plays against Oregon this weekend. I'm just going to roll with it and just say it and and go, and we'll see what happens. I mean. Well, you know, I, I, that's all I do. Hey, you know what? That's you're, is that not a hot take if it happens? I would like to change my lukewarm take to CJ Stroud plays. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried so I couldn't think of anything. I really couldn't. Me and Austin were talking about this before the show. I was like, I've got, I've got nothing. I really, there's nothing good to talk about. I can't even think of. I got nothing. All right. Uh, Thank you for limping in with that. Are we ready for Austin's now? Yeah, yeah, you're good. All right. Well, All right. Austin. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. Um, hello, friends. You know, I am back for another lukewarm take. Uh, my take this week, I don't know if you guys tuned in on Monday night 
to watch that Ole Miss game against Louisville. That Ole Miss quarterback is pretty good. You know, he had himself a nice game. That what Matt Corral, I think his name is, completed 68% of his passes, 381 yards and a touchdown, and then another 55 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I think he continues and has a pretty good game against this week. Uh, Ole Miss plays this school called uh, Austin P, which is kind of my name, but also kind of not my name. Um, and so I think he's going to do really good against that school. I, I think, you know, maybe maybe he has another big week. Oh so you're saying the best quarterback oh of week one is going to go back out and have a big week. That, that, that's, that's, that's your thought process. Matt Corral is going to have a good, a good oh. week. Oh, was he the best quarterback week one? Oh, okay. Heisman. Oh, Heisman. Well, no, I did hear C.J. Stroud was a Heisman front runner, oh, but I would goodness. say Matt Corral is the Heisman front runner. And, yeah, you're right. He's going to go out there and yeah. of Austin P, which – I, what is Austin P? Are they like a JUCO, and he's gonna go out there. He's gonna go out there and play oh like a JUCO goodness. school, and 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 have a good week. I got you. Yeah. yeah well, Austin can. going two for two with the lukewarm takes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, week one, in case anybody missed it, I said Cincinnati would have a big day against Miami of Ohio, and they sure did. They sure did. <laughs> they uh. sure did. All right. That is. Uh, is Chris Moxley here, or is he not? No. Everything. Everything yeah, he's right. Here. Oh, he's here. He is, just popped in. Is he? Yeah. I that was phenomenal my- accuracy this week. <laughs> I cannot I, the take could not have been any more lukewarm. It was perfect. No, glad, no corrections. Glad, glad I could could help with that. The Lucas of lukewarm takes. Um all right, I'm Matt, you got your parting shot? You're first. I do. I do have my parting shot. I will go first here because I did not realize I was going first. I thought Austin was going first, but I guess I am going first. I didn't look at the show sheet. All right, so college football is back. For the first time in a year, we got to see what makes college football and college football games so incredible. Tailgates at 5 a.m., the midnight yell with hundreds of participants in College Station this past weekend. You see college football is at its finest. It is the best melting pot in the world. It happens every weekend. Doesn't matter if you are green, blue, white, black, yellow, purple, or red. The unison of everyone bringing their communities back together after what felt like a decade of not getting a chance to see your favorite team play in person. We've all bled, shed tears, felt pain of defeat, and the ecstasy of victory for our teams, and it means so much more when you are surrounded by thousands of your brothers and sisters. This weekend, we got to see how incredible enter the Sandman can be to opposing teams, how an entire stadium can shake a a state during the jump around, an entire stadium coming alive during the chop. The tradition, the atmosphere, the love, and most importantly, the fans are back in college football. It was so beautifully illustrated at the Wisconsin-Penn State game by Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt when they just sat back and let that stadium take over. It was a breathtaking experience, and I can't imagine what it was like to be there. This weekend, I can't wait to see those great traditions continuing, coming down to dotting the I. We are running down the hill and touching Howard's Rock, homecoming, and the Gator Chomp. It is so great to have college football back in our lives. College football has finally returned, as Matt said, which means marching bands, turnover chains, and live animals on the sideline, which, total side note, we got like five years left of that practice before that's over, but I digress. It also brings with it the dreaded targeting rule. And these rules are a little different than their NFL counterparts. So here is what the NCAA rulebook has to say on targeting. 
Targeting means that a player takes aim at an opponent for purposes of attacking with forcible contact that goes beyond making a legal tackle or a legal block or playing the ball. Some indicators of targeting include, but are not limited to, the launch. A player leaving their feet to attack an opponent by an upward and forward thrust of the body to make forceful contact in the head or neck area. A crouch followed by an upward and forward thrust to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area, leading with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow, or lowering the head before attacking by by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet. While these rules are just dripping with subjectivity, that's not actually my issue with the targeting rules at all. It's the subjectivity combined with the ejection that is a total game changer. Consider that Ole Miss Louisville game that I jokingly mentioned earlier that saw four players ejected in the first half for offenses that ranged from obvious to just downright confusing. We also saw ejections uh, and close calls across a slew of other games this weekend, which ultimately slows gameplay and benefits virtually nobody. So here is my unsolicited solution, NCAA, for those of you that are listening. No more same-day ejections. Instead, let's put together a panel that reviews all targeting calls during the week, and if a hit is especially egregious, it could still deserve that suspension. But that catch-all for blows to the head needs to stop. We'll forgive you if you didn't stay awake for Nevada's 22-17 to win over Cal this past weekend, which ended well after 1 a.m. Eastern time. If you missed it, junior quarterback Carson Strong had just a decent day by his own lofty standards, 22 for 39 for 312 yards and two touchdowns to one pick in Nevada's win over a Power 5 team. But if you pay attention to Debbie Twitter, the narrative surrounding Strong isn't that he led his G5 school to a win on the road against a Power 5 opponent. It isn't that Strong continues to show exponential development, demonstrating an ability to throw receivers open deep and down the sideline and in stride, often throwing the receiver open. Is it, it isn't his quick processing or live arm. No, the focus is generally on Strong's feet. That's right. We're talking about feet. Not passing. Not his arm. Feet. Feet. We're talking about feet. Strong's detractors point to the 21-year-old's inability to move in the pocket, but these detractors lack imagination. They were the same ones who said Josh Allen was too inaccurate to be an NFL quarterback. The same ones who said Kyler Murray was too small or that Deshaun Watson had a weak arm. The same ones who said Lamar Jackson should be playing wide receiver. The thing about the evaluation community is that the focus is too much on what a player can't do as as opposed to what he can Carson Strong has a lot of pluses to his game, period. First-round arm talent, first-round vertical accuracy, decision-making, plus frame. Furthermore, we underestimate a player's ability to improve and or compensate for perceived or actual weaknesses. Kyler Murray wasn't going to be able to throw over the middle due to his height. Ryan Tannehill was just a wide receiver. Justin Herbert was too raw. And there are other examples. The point is that regardless of his flaws, Carson Strong is a good player and folks would be better served on concentrating on that tight spiral spinning into the hands of a Nevada pass catcher and just out of the reach of a nearby defender than worrying about how many carries he had. The real ones, no. 
Check out all the content around the Campus to Canton family. Of course, the Campus to Canton podcast channel, Canton Bound, Campus Life, Fantasy Roundtable, and Why Wait Till Sunday and Debbie Debate. But that is going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter Rimbo caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.